Good morning, Fellowship Church. Good morning, wherever you are joining us from today, especially a big warm welcome to Fellowship Church, Oklahoma, meeting in the fine city of Moore. Um, so glad to be with you today. Um, so glad that some of our team is with you today. We are excited um, to build a community there in Oklahoma, build a church there in Oklahoma that can truly be a beacon of grace, love, and hope, and that you can build some authentic, real relationship with in Jesus. And we're so excited to come alongside you to help you do that. Um, I am representing today with my Okie Dokie shirt. When I was with you last month, uh, I was looking all over for the perfect Oklahoma t-shirt. And I was sharing with my wife and with Ryan, who's with you there today, um, what my ultimate vision of an Oklahoma t-shirt was. And I said, my ultimate vision of an Oklahoma t-shirt is a cowboy riding on a bucking bronco, holding up a hat and saying, yeehaw. And they thought I was crazy. They thought I would never find one like that. But I went into a store in downtown OKC. I believe it's called the Jackalope Exchange or something like that. And this shirt, the one I envisioned in my mind, uh, was hanging right up on the shelf for $30. And I was like, it is meant to be. And so this is the first time I've worn this shirt, the first time of many. And so I'm glad to be with you today. I am glad to represent Oklahoma today. And I want to let you know, I will be with you on Sunday, February the 21st. Sunday, February the 21st, I'll be with you in Oklahoma. So however I can serve you, however I can minister to you, help you lead, help you grow, let me know. And uh, we'll do that while I'm with you. Today, I want to start a series called Squad. And the idea, the big idea of this series is learning to lay down our differences for the cause of Christ. Learning to lay down our thing for the thing of Christ, the cause, the gospel, the good, the greater good, and the greater glory of God. Because today, everybody has a thing. Everybody has a cause. Everybody has a team. Everybody's got a crew, a tribe, a squad. And 2020 has shown this to the extreme, has shown our extreme differences and really highlighted those things to us over this last year. And I'll mention a couple of teams, a couple of tribes that are admittedly uh, a little bit funny, um, but we'll get to some serious ones too. And so uh, here where I am today in Oregon, it might be you are a U of O duck or you're an Oregon State beaver. There in Oklahoma, you might be a Sooner or a cowboy. Um, if you are a nerd, for you it might be Slytherin or Gryffindor. Um, there in Oklahoma, you've got a chicken place called Raising Canes. So you might be on Team Raising Canes or team Chick-fil-A. Um, there's all sorts of differences in tribes, in teams, in squads. There is country music, and then there is good music. Um, and the good always overtakes the bad. But more serious, uh, you might be left or right, Trump or Biden, progressive or 
liberal, Republican or Democrat, vax or anti-vax, capitalism or socialism, and so on and so on and so on. And the more serious of these issues have actually split up families over this last year. The more serious of these things, these tribes, these squads, these teams have split up friendships, even marriages and churches. Here at Fellowship Church, um, throughout the course of this pandemic, we've had people leave our church because we were not strong enough on a certain pandemic or social issue. And we had some leave our church because they thought we were too strong on some issue. And we had some leave our church because we kept the focus on Christ and didn't get into those issues. And, and so 2020 was a strange year and 2021 is shaping up to be a pretty bizarre year as well. And there are past generations where we would have seen people come together and unite and stay in family, stay in relationship, stay in friendship, stay in church when they disagreed. But sadly, that is becoming less and less common as the world is getting more and more divided. And so, where in the past, things may have been a little bit on the gray side. Things may have been gray. Some things are gray. We can agree to disagree. I can respect your opinion. We can respect one another's differences. Today, things have become incredibly black and white. And if someone doesn't see things the way that you do, you automatically write them off. And if they don't see like you do, they write you off. And so complete black and white, complete polar opposites instead of, of gray and choosing to get along despite these things. So if things are so divided, if there's so much difference in the world, if there's so many camps, so many tribes, so many rivalries, and so many squads, how do we get along? How do we unite? How do we show love towards one another? How do we accomplish something for the greater good? And how can we do it and be in a team, in a tribe, in a squad that's united around something and that is built around something that is bigger than ourself and bigger than our differences? So how do you do it? Well, the answer is obvious, right? The best way to unite is to argue really loud to change someone's mind, right? The best way to unite and to build common ground is to spend all your energy um, starting debates on social media, right? No, hardly, hardly. You see, it's the exact opposite. The more the keyboard warriors go into debates on social media, and I'm guilty of it sometimes myself, the more that people argue to try to persuade someone to think a way that they do, it actually causes further division and does not bring about unity at all. And the crazy thing about these differences is that many of us have built and established our entire identity in these differences. I am left-leaning. I am right-leaning. I am conservative. I am liberal. I am Republican. I am Democrat. I've actually had several people over the last couple weeks, when they're introducing themselves to me, they actually have stated where they find their identity within the introduction instead of just their name. 
had someone come up to me the other day and say, hey, I'm progressive. And I don't care. I just want to know if you're a human. I just want to know if we can share relationship together. I just want to know if we can be kind toward one another. I just want to know if we can respect one another. I just want to know if we can have conversation. It doesn't matter to me where you're at or where your identity is built in. What matters to me is that I can love you, that you can listen to me respectfully with what I have to share, and I can listen to you respectfully with what you have to share. And ultimately, what matters to me is that our identity is found in Jesus Christ alone. But the problem with this is, if someone hears something that doesn't fit in to what they define as truth, if someone hears something that doesn't fit into their narrowly defined tribe or squad, they might flat out ignore what someone has to say. They might flat out ignore the truth. Because to embrace the truth might mean that they have to leave and let go of an identity they've built their entire life around. And I've seen that actually a lot this year. Seeing people who have built their identity on agendas, built their identity on what they feel, what they think, instead of on truth. And so if they hear something that's actually true, that goes against what their identity is, they're going to have a moment of cognitive dissonance where, where they just aren't going to know how to survive, how to handle, how to deal. This is the thing about the truth. There can actually only be one truth. Either something is true or it's not. There is not subjective truth. There is not your truth and my truth. There's just simply truth. And so what if our thing? What if our cause? What if our rallying point? What if our team, our tribe, our camp, or our squad could actually be built on the truth? What if the truth is what united us? What if the truth is what set us free from the bondage of living in small boxes? What if there wasn't just an absolute truth, but what if you could know the truth? What if you could have relationship with the truth because the truth was actually a person? What if you could lay down your tribe, your cause, your team, your squad at the feet of the truth? What if you could follow the truth? What if you could let the truth transform you and set you free? Well, here's the good news for you today. There is truth that can happen, and the truth is a person, and that person's name is Jesus. And that's why Jesus makes the audacious statement, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And so what if we could lay down our differences, our opinions, our tribe, our squad at the feet of Jesus, who is the truth? What if we could lay down those things for the cause of the truth, for the cause of Jesus? Well, what I know is 
we would be able to get along. We would be able to accomplish things for the greater good. We would be able to experience true love and relationship. We would be able to experience truth. And we would be able to be transformed by the truth. Because we hold the truth above the identities we've built and hold on dear to. So let's get to the content of this message today in this series. You see, 2,000 years ago, in a politically and socially charged climate much like today, 12 guys and dozens of others from radically different squads with radically different opposing ideas found the truth. They followed the truth. They came to know the truth personally in Jesus. And these 12 men and the hundreds that followed, they were able to lay down their thing. They were able to lay down their differences. They were able to lay down their tribe for the cause of Jesus Christ. And they found their identity in Jesus alone. And they were able to unite and rally, not around their differences, but they were able to unite and rally around the man, Jesus, who was the truth. And they were able to do that, whatever their thing was, because the ultimate thing became Christ. So over the next several weeks, myself and some of my team are going to be teaching to you about some of the 12 disciples in situations in their lives where they laid down their identity for the cause of Jesus. And we'll start the series off today with a look at Peter and his brother, Andrew. And we'll go from there um, and we're going to look at a couple other disciples uh, between now and later in February. But I want to look at what happened with these guys, these people who laid down their differences. And we're going to examine the life of this ragtag group of people that followed Jesus to see what made them different from each other. We're going to learn from their lives and again, see how the truth transformed their lives. And we're going to look at here today, Peter and his brother Andrew. So if you have a Bible, could you turn with me to John chapter 1? And if you have our app, that's FC Online, you can look up under the sermon notes and you'll see sermon notes for squad part 1. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. I'm not going to have the verses um, on the screen here today because I'm only going to read through three and I don't want to distract you. Um, but if you want to follow along in the Bible, please do follow along on the app. You can do that as well. We're looking today at John chapter 1, verse 35 through 42. John 1, 35. It says, The next day, again, Jesus was standing with two of his disciples. And actually, I already misspoke. Let me start again. John 1, 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. We often associate the disciples with Jesus, but here it says that John was standing with two of his disciples. And John in this passage is not the author of John. It's not um, the apostle John. The John that John 1 speaks out is actually John the Baptist. So the next day, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. Did you know that John the Baptist had disciples? In fact, did you know that John the Baptist had more disciples likely than Jesus ever had? 
during their lifetime ministry. And so the entire region of Palestine within the Roman Empire, which we know as Israel, was really divided into two squads, those who followed John the Baptist and those who didn't. The nation was polarized around this one man. And so John the Baptist, here he has two disciples. And in verse 36, it says, John the Baptist looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. So John the Baptist sees his relative Jesus, and for the first time in his life, he recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's about to realize he's a whole lot more. And so prophetically, John the Baptist cries out whether he understands it or not, because his mission was to prepare the way of the Lord. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. This is the Messiah. This is the sacrifice. This is the one we've been waiting for. And it says in verse 37, John the Baptist, two disciples, heard him say this, and so they then left and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw the two disciples of John the Baptist following him, and Jesus said to John the Baptist's disciples, what are you seeking? What are you guys doing? What are you guys looking for? And I love the guy's response. Listen to their response. The two disciples of John the Baptist say, Rabbi, Rabbi means teacher. Teacher, where are you staying? So Jesus says, what are you guys doing? And they don't tell him what they're doing. All they ask Jesus is, where are you staying where are you going? And the reason they're asking this is because they want to be with him. The Holy Spirit is revealing to them glimpses of who Jesus, the Lamb of God, is. And so they leave John the Baptist. They start to follow Jesus. Jesus asks what they're doing. They say, where are you staying? And in verse 39, Jesus answers the question. And Jesus is not good at answering questions if you haven't learned that from the Gospels yet. People ask Jesus questions, and he responds with strange answers. So, Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus says this, come and you will see. He doesn't say, I'm staying in Nazareth, I'm staying in Jerusalem, I'm staying in Galilee, I'm staying in Capernaum, I'm staying at this inn or this restaurant or this person's house. He just says, follow me, come and see where I'm staying. And so they came and they saw where Jesus was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. It's 4 p.m. It's getting late. It's dinner time. Jesus says, you want to know where I'm going? Come and see where I'm going. And they invite themselves to stay, eat dinner, and stay the night because people did not usually travel in the dark. It would have been incredibly dangerous. So one of the two disciples of John the Baptist who heard John the Baptist speak and followed Jesus was the man named Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And so here we are introduced to one of the disciples of John the Baptist, a man named Andrew. And it says Andrew is Simon Peter's brother. Now we'll see here in a minute that the author of the Gospel of John does not record or report who the other disciple of John the Baptist is, most Bible scholars believe it's actually John, the disciple, who's writing this book now. So we have Andrew, who is the brother of Simon Peter, and likely the other disciple will be introduced to later, named John. So Andrew and John, disciples of John the Baptist, are the ones who follow Jesus, eat dinner with him, and stay where he is staying. Verse 41, it says, Andrew 
first found his own brother, Simon, and said to Simon, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. John the Baptist, our teacher, our rabbi, our guru, our leader, told us this was the Lamb of God. We followed him. He was right. We wanted to be with him. He is the Messiah. And so Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looked at Simon and said, You are Simon, and your dad's name is John. To which Simon said, Tell me something I don't know. Now, it's pretty incredible because in Simon's mind, Jesus doesn't know who he is, but he doesn't know that the man who is talking to him is the man who created him and gave him his very image and identity. And of course, Jesus knows who it is, but this is surprising to Simon. But that's not Jesus' point, is just to identify this man. Jesus says, hey, you're John's son. A different John, by the way. You're John's son, Simon. But you shall be called Cephas. And Cephas means Peter. So he changes his name. So let's recap a little bit. Andrew, and likely John the disciple, they're disciples of John the Baptist. And when Andrew's teacher, John the Baptist, implies that Jesus was the Messiah, Andrew follows Jesus, who may be the Messiah. And if you notice what Andrew does, he calls Jesus teacher. And so you might ask, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, we're going to find here and discover the first thing that Andrew lays down. Andrew lets go of the tutelage of John the Baptist. Andrew is willing to let go of John the Baptist being his teacher and transfer that to Jesus, who he knows little to nothing about. And so Andrew's teacher went from being John the Baptist to Jesus. He calls him teacher. And here we find out that Simon would have this life-changing encounter with Jesus, the Messiah, in that Jesus is going to change the guy's name. Changes it again from Simon to Peter. And so Andrew leaves John the Baptist being his teacher, calls Jesus teacher, but look at what's happening with his brother Simon. Simon's entire identity has changed. Because the name Simon... The meaning of the name Simon and meanings of names were very important and powerful in the Hebrew world of that language of the Jews. His name Simon in this culture, it meant wavering. It meant unstable. It meant easily tossed about, easily swayed in the wind. And so Jesus looks at Simon and says, you're easily swayed. You're wavering. But I'm changing you. I'm changing your identity. And I'm going to change your name to Peter. And where Simon means wavering, Peter means rock. Peter, you're a solid rock. And if you fast forward to Matthew 16, Jesus says to Peter, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. So Simon here is willing to lay down his entire identity for the cause of Jesus, a man he barely knows. So let's continue. Shortly after this encounter, Jesus approaches Andrew and his brother Simon, now known as Peter. And we find this in the Gospel of Luke. 
So when we normally read the calling of Peter and Andrew and James and John and Luke, it seems as though they've never encountered Jesus before. But if we look at the book of John, we find out that these stories go together and they had indeed encountered Jesus before. Andrew and Peter and likely John had all stayed and had dinner and stayed the evening with Jesus where he was staying along the Sea of Galilee. And so they're all in the same town once again. Jesus is having this large crowd of people gather around him. They want him to teach them. And Jesus sees Peter and Andrew and he sees them cleaning their nets from their fishing boat on the shores of the Sea of Galilee because these guys are fishermen by trade. And so Jesus sees them there and just down the shoreline a bit is James and John with their father Zebedee who are also cleaning their nets. And James and John and their dad and Peter and Andrew had just spent the entire night fishing, fishing for money, not for sport without catching any fish. So they're discouraged, they're tired, they're disappointed. They're cleaning up their nets to go home. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, Andrew, can I borrow your boat? And can you put out the boat into deeper water so that that way I can teach and preach from the boat and I can't be ransacked by this crowd of people because I need to communicate to them, but I need a platform away from them that they can't get to me and surround me so that they can hear the important words that I have to say. And so Peter and Andrew are like, sure, Jesus, commandeer our boat. They let out their boat into the water and Jesus begins to teach the crowd from the water. And while they are out there, the people begin to leave and Jesus finishes teaching to them on the shore from the boat. So once the crowd leaves, Jesus tells Peter and Andrew, hey guys, go out a little bit deeper and throw your nets into the water. And in Luke 5, verse 5, Luke 5, 5, read along in the notes or in your Bible. It says that Peter answered Jesus. Master, we worked all night and we didn't catch anything. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. What's Peter doing here? He's laying something down for the cause of Christ. You may have missed it, but Peter actually lays down his disbelief to trust in Jesus. He doesn't think he'll catch fish. He's fished these waters his entire life. He knows if he doesn't catch fish in the middle of the night, that he's not going to catch them now. But he says, at your word, I'll do it even though we didn't catch anything. He suspends, lays down his disbelief at the feet of Jesus for the cause of Jesus. And as a result, upon doing so, when they let down the nets, they catch so many fish that the nets begin to break. And so, if you remember, James and John are back on the shore. They're cleaning their nets. And they're like, James, John, come out here. We're in this giant school of fish. We can't hold all the fish. Come out and join in on the catch. And so James and John, they come out alongside Peter and Andrew and Jesus, and they lay out their nets. And both boats catch so many fish that the nets in the boat fill up, and the boats actually begin to sink under the weight of the fish. And now you might be thinking, well, of course, 
This is just a little dinghy, a little raft, a little fishing boat. Of course it would sink with all these fish from the Sea of Galilee. Well, first of all, the Sea of Galilee is not very big. It's not much different in size from some of the larger lakes in your state there in Oklahoma or the larger lakes here in Oregon. In Oregon, it actually looks a lot like the Columbia River. And not only is this lake not all that big, these boats are actually pretty big. They're like 25, 30 feet long. These are big boats. There's so many fish in here that the boats begin to sink. You ever seen on YouTube before, this is just a little side note, um, videos of like super hillbilly uh, fishermen from the south uh, states like in Alabama, uh, where they get into like a flat bottom fishing boat and they'll go out at night with spotlights and shine them all over while they're just blazing through the water. And all of a sudden the fish, for whatever reason, because of the sound and the wake of the boat and the flashing of the lights, fish will just start jumping all over the place and, and they just start hitting the guys in the face and fill up the boat with fish. It's not like that. But if you haven't seen that, you need to stop what you're doing once you leave where you're at today and watch one of those crazy videos. Um, this is some serious, serious fishing. And the guys are shocked. They're astonished. Let's look at Luke 5, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So here these guys are astonished, and if we don't pay attention here closely, we might miss what they actually laid down, specifically what Peter laid down, his thing, his differences at the feet of Jesus for the cause of Jesus. What Peter does here is he actually lays down his sin. He lays down his very shame before Jesus in humility, in repentance, and in faith. It's a beautiful thing because he sees that this uh, Lamb of God, this Messiah that his brother called him, sees that this man can work miracles and he now senses he's in the presence of God and in the presence of the glory and the holiness of God. He recognizes the condemnation of sin and so he lays it down in faith at the feet of Jesus, just as we are too with our sin. And in verse 10 it says, Jesus said to him, Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything. They left everything and they followed Jesus. So they get off the lake, they leave everything, they follow Jesus. And down the shore, once again, are now James and John. And they're mending their nets. One of the other gospels records. They're on the shore mending their nets. We know that they're mending their nets because their nets had broken from the fish that filled the nets and made the boat start to sink. They're mending their nets and Jesus looks at them and calls them to do likewise. Jesus says to James and John, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. 
So Peter and Andrew, James and John, they leave everything behind to follow Jesus. And they came together despite any differences they may have had, and they did it for the sake and the cause of Jesus Christ. And what I love about it is that they follow Jesus into the absolute unknown. The only thing Jesus said was, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. There was no context to what that meant. All they knew is that they were fishers of fish and Jesus was calling them to something higher. They didn't think they were going to go out and literally fish for men and women and children with nets, but they knew that God was going to use them to do something great in the world on his behalf for God's creation. And so these guys laid down their plans for the future. They didn't know where they were going. They laid down their boats. These boats in today's standards would have been upwards of $150,000, $200,000. They laid down their nets and their fish and their very livelihood and all the money that these things were worth for the cause of Christ. And so if these guys are laying down their identity, their differences for the cause of Christ, how, how could we define guys like this today? Because a lot of the disciples are defined in different classes and categories. Well, Peter and his brother Andrew, and so too James and John, these guys were blue-collar, hard-working, union fishermen. And the reason I say that they're union fishermen is because it says that they're partners with James, John, and their father, Zebedee. And these guys spent their entire lives living on a town that was on the lake that they would spend their days working on. Small town, blue collar, union fishermen laid down their very identity, all they knew, to follow a builder, a carpenter, if you will. Follow a builder turned religious teacher from the nearby town in the hills, Nazareth. And these guys, Peter and Andrew and James and John, we'll look at a lot next week. These small town, blue collar union fishermen. They'd be joined by loud mouthed, hot headed mama's boys. They'd be joined by a teacher's pet. By tax collecting, government sympathizing traders. They'd be joined by political insurrectionists and terrorists. They'd be joined by doubters, thieves, executioners, recovering demoniacs, and women of questionable character who would all lay down their thing, who would all lay down their differences for the cause of Christ. And they would all, this, this group of, of a dozen in this group of multiple dozens and hundreds and eventually thousands would all lay down their thing and be unified around the truth of Christ. And when they laid down their identity, they would pick up a new identity and all find their identity in Jesus. And they would rally around Jesus, they'd unite around Jesus, and they would unite for the cause of Jesus. And they would do it 
instead of whatever they claimed those things had been in before. And these guys would get along. They'd find common ground. They'd show love toward one another. And they would accomplish things for the greater good. Only when their cause was not their own cause, but the cause of Christ. Focusing specifically on Peter. Man, Peter is the disciple, hands down, that is written about the most in the New Testament. Outside of Jesus and the Apostle Paul, we read so much about Peter. And we could look at the life of Peter literally for years and just name thing after thing, thing after thing, example after example of how Peter laid down his differences, his thing, his tribe, his cause, his squad, continuously for the cause of Christ. He would lay down his fear. He would lay down his failure. He would lay down arguments with fellow believers. He would lay down dietary restrictions. He would lay down his religious held traditions. He would lay these things down again and again for Christ. But here's where I want to wrap this up. You see, to really lay down your difference, to really lay down your thing, your tribe, your squad for the cause of Christ, it means to actually lay down your life. Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you must take up your cross and follow me. Meaning you've got to be willing to give your life, just as I, Jesus would tell us, gave his life for us. And so, decades after the calling of Jesus, as an old man, Peter would indeed lay down his life for the cause of Christ, as would his brother Andrew And when Peter, in the city of Rome, was led to his execution on a cross just like Jesus, Jesus thought so highly of Jesus. Peter thought so highly of Jesus. Peter had such reverence for Jesus that he wasn't willing to even um, look like Jesus in his death. He didn't even want to uh, be associated having the same death is Jesus because he didn't want anybody to mistake him for Jesus. And so when the Romans, led by the Roman emperor Nero, on that day when they killed Peter and likely the same day they killed Paul, when they told him they would crucify him, Peter said, you can crucify me. I'll lay down my life for the sake of Christ. I will pick up my cross and follow him. But don't crucify me in the same manner as my Lord, because I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner. And so instead of being crucified like this, crucify me upside down. And so in the city of Rome, sometime in the 60s AD, that's what happened to Simon, the one who used to be wavering. That's what happened to Peter, who was now a rock. He was crucified upside down on a cross for the cause of Christ. And so wherever you are right now, there in Oklahoma, if you're watching online, listening to this podcast, 
Would you bow your heads and close your eyes um, to eliminate any distraction around you? You don't have to. We're not doing it out of religious obligation or tradition. But I'd love for you just to have an intimate moment with Christ as I read one more verse and I, I call you to faith in Jesus. See, in John 6, 66, there was a time early on in Peter and Andrew following Jesus where Jesus built a crowd of thousands. It's easy to draw crowds with free food and miracles. But whenever Jesus drew crowds, he had this amazing ability, if you will, to lose the crowds just as fast, if not faster, than what he gained them by dropping a truth bomb on them. And so as Jesus was teaching, he said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, then you have no part with me. And collectively, the crowd of literally tens of thousands, as they heard Jesus utter those words, essentially what they said was, ew, yuck. And they left. We, we're not into this cannibal religion. We're not into this blood drinking religion. That's against Judaism. But they didn't have ears to hear. They didn't have a soft heart to receive what Jesus was trying to tell them. Jesus was foreshadowing his death. Jesus was foretelling his death. Guys, I'm going to give my body. I'm going to spill my blood. And unless you're willing to put your trust in my life, death, and resurrection and be willing to give your life yourself, you have no part in me. And so the crowd left and the 12 disciples were left there. Maybe with a handful of others. And it says in John 6, 66, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. Verse 67, So Jesus said to the twelve disciples, Do you want to go away as well? You guys going to leave too? Thousands just left. You guys going to leave? Simon Peter answered, Jesus. And Peter always says, the great things, and he says the dumb things too, but this is one of the greatest things Peter ever says. When Jesus says, you guys going to leave? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You are the Lamb of God. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And it reminds me of that first encounter where John and Andrew said to Jesus, when Jesus said, what are you guys doing? They said, where are you staying, Jesus? And Jesus says, just come and see. And now here they are, left with a decision to make. And Jesus said, you guys leaving? You guys came. You saw where I was staying. And you can see it's not very easy. Sometimes it cost you your very life. You guys going to go now? And Peter says, we don't have anywhere to go. And so today, if you hear anything at all, hear Jesus say to you, just like he said to Peter and Andrew, come see where I'm going. Come see where I am. Come and check it out. And go. You'll, you'll like what you find. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Bible says that if you seek him, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart. Scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Following Jesus is not easy, but it is worth it and it is the greatest adventure you could ever go on as you follow him into the unknown and stay where he is staying.
And once you find out how good Jesus is, once you find out that only he holds the words of life, once you find out that he's the way, the truth, and the life, when life gets hard and you're questioning whether or not you're going to stay with him, your heart will say, Jesus, you're the only one we've got. You're all we've got. You're all we know. You're our only hope. So Peter was willing to lay down his life. He was willing to lay down his differences with the other disciples. And they all united around Jesus because Jesus was the real truth and he was the only place to go. So God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its truth. And I thank you for your spirit, which changes our lives. Lord, if there's anyone at the sound of my voice that does not know you, I ask in the name of Jesus that just like Peter in the boat filled with fish, that you would convict them of their sin and show them their need for a Savior. And show them that their need for a Savior can only be found in Jesus. God, I pray you'd give those listening to my voice faith, in Jesus, to save them from their sins and to give to them a new identity in Christ. Here's something I want to share as this time comes to an end. I talk to a lot of people who, when they're faced with an opportunity to follow Jesus, they will have built their entire identity around a thing, a cause, an agenda, a sin, a lifestyle, whatever it may be, it doesn't matter. We just build our identities on different things. And oftentimes when there's a call like this one to follow Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus, to allow Jesus to have relationship with you and save you, when those kind of things happen, oftentimes what our heart does is say, whoa, we can't follow Jesus because we're not willing to let it all go. We're not willing to lay it all down. We're not willing to, to give everything. And, and trust me when I say Jesus does require everything. Jesus may require our life. We're not promised um, security and prosperity in this life as we know it. But don't miss the point. The point is this, is that the only thing that Jesus told Peter and Andrew and John on that day was just come check it out. Come and see. Come and follow me. The only thing he told James and John, Peter and Andrew, as they were on the sea shore of Galilee was, uh, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And they followed. You see, notice for a minute, Jesus didn't say, Peter, follow me. And one day you'll deny me three times. Follow me. And I'll say to you, get behind me, Satan. Follow me. And you'll run and hide when I'm crucified. Follow me, and I'm going to anoint you with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Follow me, Peter, and you're going to be put into jail multiple times. Follow me, Peter, and you'll be beaten and abandoned and abused and crucified. If I'm Peter, if Jesus is saying those things to me, I'm probably not following Jesus. The only thing that Jesus asked Peter to do is follow me. Lay it down, Peter. Lay your identity down, your differences down at my feet. And the further and further that Peter got, despite the mistakes he made, despite the times he fell and stumbled and tripped into sin, he continued to get back up and Jesus would say, what else do you have to give? 
And Peter would lay it down and lay it down and lay it down and say, Jesus, I've got nowhere else to go. And so if you're fighting with yourself right now saying, I can't follow Jesus because I'm just not at a point where I can let go of X, Y, Z. Ask God to help you let it down. Take a step of faith towards him. Follow him. See what it's like. And the longer you follow him, the easier it will be to give things away, to lay things down at his feet. And what I've learned is that 21 years into my relationship with Christ, that the more I've let go of, the more I've laid down at his feet, the more he requires of me. And I might pitch a fit. I might not want to do it, but I'm reminded daily of his faithfulness, daily of his love, daily of the reality that he takes me just as I am. And because of that gratefulness, I am willing to lay it down at his feet and let him take me deeper and deeper and further and further and closer and closer to him. And so you might not have all your questions answered or your life figured out or your stuff in order, but would you just take a mustard seed sized step of faith towards Jesus and he'll meet you right where you're at. He'll meet you right there. And he'll ask you to follow him and just start laying it down. And let's not allow our identity to be built in anything else but Jesus, but always being willing to let go of what our identity has been in to find our identity in him. Step by step by step by step. He's good. He'll take you good places. He'll never leave you or forsake you. It's not easy. Fellowship Church, it's worth it to follow Jesus. What he has in store for you is beyond what your eyes have ever seen, your ears have ever heard, or the heart of any man has ever imagined. We, we just don't know all the goodness God has in store for us, but that's exactly what he wants to lavish us in, in his grace. And so would you receive that today? God bless each person. Help us to lay down our identity lay down what we've built our life on, lay down our differences, lay down our tribe, our thing for your cause. And may that be what allows us to experience true unity with you and with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. God bless you, Oklahoma. Uh, if you're watching right now in Oklahoma, I'm stoked to see you uh, in just a few short weeks on February 21st. God bless.